early on in my journey um, of answering the call to ministry, uh, I remember one Sunday in particular praying and God tapping me on the shoulder and saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to preach the gospel. And went to the altar that Sunday, weeping and seeking God and asking for clarity and also wrestling with just surrendering it all right there. And my friend, who was my prayer partner also at the time, she came and knelt down beside me and asked me how she could pray for me. And I just said, well, God's calling me to be a pastor. And I started to cry again. And she lovingly laughed and said, it's okay. God calls women to preach too. Little did I know that six years later, uh, her son would actually become my mentor on the church planting journey. So in this episode, I get the privilege to interview Dr. Jeff Crowder, my friend, my mentor for the last 10 years, uh, walking with me uh, through the whole church planting journey. And I hope that you'll just be encouraged. He has some great things to say uh, about ministry, about the call, about planting churches, and encouragement for women in ministry, and maybe even a few challenges for men out there uh, as well. So enjoy the podcast. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we just start telling the stories and and flood the airwaves with something different? kind of undramatic. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's it's very exciting. Yeah. Today's not your day off. No, it's not. So we're all good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. So how's your day going so far? Um, good day. Got a walk in and oh, yay. before the rain. So that was good. And uh, I got message a message today from the retirement community where I serve that uh, they're ready to re-engage one of the um, one of the activities that we've had to knock off for the last three months. It's a small group, but anyway. This is this is fun to to get to interview you. It's been a long journey. I, mean, I didn't really know you before I planted the church. I mean, I, I mean, I knew of you in the district, and I think we had met a few times. I knew your mom and your sister. Yeah, it's interesting how those connections work, isn't it? Um, I've got uh, a treasure at my church that I knew a little bit, but I knew his brother way better initially. He was my my first college roommate. So uh, it's funny how we get to know different members of the family initially, and then eventually we meet the best person. I'm sure she'll have feedback when she listens to this episode. <laughs> if there was any question, my sister wasn't going to watch this before. Now I've answered that question. She'll have right. to... Tell us where you're serving right now. So my full-time assignment is in Chelsea, Michigan, and that's halfway between Ann Arbor and Jackson on I-94. And the church that we are at, we've been there for 24 years. We were a part of planting that um, almost two and a half decades ago. And then about eight years ago, 
I received an invitation from one of the retirement communities in town to come and be their chaplain. And so I served there part-time um, with various activities. There's a Sunday service and there's also a, a small group of, uh, a couple of small groups. And, um, and then there's some music opportunities too that kind of fit my, my gift mix. So those are my two, my two official ministry responsibilities. Not counting your, all of your district stuff, but. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. stuff has, has come along too. So why did you decide to plant where you did? I mean, I kind of know the answer, but. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's a double-edged story. Um, there is a great side to where we are at. It's been a great place to raise our kids, um, wonderful stability, financial blessing, a good educational system and schools for our children. So that's all been great, and we're thankful for that. But it was not my first choice of location. My first choice of location is actually just down the road from where you are at. And I don't know how much detail I should go into, but um, for various re you can edit this, I guess, if there's anything yeah. I say, whatever. But, um, <laughs> or they're going to take away my credentials. But uh, I had a different location I wanted to plant initially and was waved off of that for various reasons. Um, so anyway, yeah, so we decided to plant in Chelsea partly because there were two households here who already lived here and were ready for a new work. And I knew pretty early on that a parachute just dropping me in was not probably the best way for me to go. I, I function, excuse me, much better within the context of a group and a team. And so there was a, the, be, the beginnings of a team were already here. And that's how we ended up being, being part of Chelsea. Yeah, uh, parachute drop, whatever meth methodology for church planning is really tough. So will you just explain what that is? Cause some people who have never planted, maybe not understand the difference. Yeah, so if, um, I'm sure there are different names for it, but the term that I would use would be parachute or lone ranger. You just move to a town where you know no one and no one knows you, and you set up your tent and hang your shingle or, you know, whatever. You start meeting people on your own, and you start literally from nothing. For us, it made sense to be connected to other people. Um, I don't know if it's my, my extrovert nature and the woo, the winning over others, strength finders language but for us it made sense to be a part of a team and that's been just it, it's been a great experience for us it's really changed the way that i've understood church my ecclesiology um, has changed significantly as we've been here my i had been on staff at a, another church in the metropolitan uh, detroit area and my title was outreach and evangelism and um we did some of that there, but it's a whole new thing when you when you leave a place that's established with people who are established, and you go to a place where there is no there is no church. Uh, I mean, there are church con there are congregations here, but starting from the beginning with a brand new group, you make some decisions about what you have to do and what you don't have to do, and you run pretty lean because you realize if I try to do stuff that doesn't have to be done, I'm going to kill myself and those committed faithful people who are willing to be a part of this. Uh, what were some of the things, what were the ways that you connected to your community in the early days versus maybe some of the things you're doing now to connect with the community 24 years later? 
Yeah. yeah, right. And it is interesting to watch how that's changed. I've thought about that several times. So when we first moved to town, I was going to a rotary meeting every Tuesday, and that's a community or a civic group of leaders of various organizations. And I had the chance to share a meal once a week, every week, with a group of probably 20 to 30 other people. And we got to know some some people and really develop deep friendships. You know, it's that breaking bread and and you're not there. To, I wasn't there to sell anything. I mean, we had a new church, and so certainly was hoping some of those people would come to us. But it was it was just there to to meet people and and develop friendships and relationships. And so that was that was probably the key activity or pattern. And then the other places that we met people early on because of our life situation. Our kids were in school and our kids were playing sports and they were playing music. And so I coached some teams and I taught some piano and we met people through those avenues as well. Um, And then through the years, all three of those have changed or morphed. So uh, I'm no longer part of Rotary right now. Um, Actually, I tried to get back in there recently and it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like the right schedule, the right timing, uh, the right commitment from me. So the place I'm meeting the most people nowadays is at the retirement community. And it's a variety of people. It's, it's not only the residents, but it's the staff. Um, I had a wise uh, retired pastor, actually, uh, and, and seminary president you've had on, on your podcast, uh, Barbara Brown Zickman, she mentioned at one point, you know, you're not here just to be a chaplain to the residents. In some ways, it may be as important that you're serving the chaplain to the, to the families and, and to the staff. And so um, I meet a variety of people. I meet people, of course, who are 95, 100, 105. And that's exciting when people there have uh, breakthroughs and new chapters in their spiritual life. But I also walk with people who are 40, 50, 20. Um, and, and younger occasionally. So that's probably the biggest place I'm meeting meeting new people these days is through that. And then kind of nurturing some of those relationships from the past. Tammy and I started a book club um, with friends of ours who are not a part of our church, a couple of other uh, households. And that's been a, just a great time for us to, again, just, just be friends with people. We're not there to have an agenda of course, as a Christian, you, know, you, you trust that the, the light will shine through you, the spirit will use you. But that's, that's the goal is not if I can get them to do this thing. Um, somebody once said, when a conversation, when you're in a conversation with somebody and you're trying to get them to do something, it stops being a conversation, becomes a, a sales pitch. And so we, we try to live our life with very few sales pitches. Um, certainly the spirit you know, has things that the spirit wants to do in us and through us, but that's the spirit's work. And so we make ourselves available rather than trying to manipulate and, you know, force something to happen. But anyway, that's, that's a long answer to a short question you ask. That's, that's okay. Uh, how many books have you done so far in your book club? Oh, boy, I don't know. I'd say probably six or eight. We've been doing this maybe for um, a year and a half, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. So how, what kind of books? Like, what's some of the ones you've used? It's a wide variety. So um, we'll do... We'll do recent fiction. Um, there's a movie coming out, uh, A Man Called Ova or Uv. Oh, my yeah. yeah. Everybody I talk to pronounces it differently. And I could, it's just a short word. How can there be so many different pronunciations on it? But that's uh, one that was written, I think, you know, the last you know, a few years. I don't know how recently. 
we also did um, a Mark Twain. Um, we did Puddinghead Wilson, which is a, a fascinating story. It's not one of his most well-known maybe, but, but interesting. Um, we've done, uh, we've done some, uh, nonfiction that actually up until recently, it was all nonfiction. Only recently have we started diving into fiction and, um, different members of the group were it's kind of a diverse group in, in some ways. I mean, chronologically, we're all in a similar, similar age range, but as far as our interests go, we're kind of a diverse group. And so we'll mention just books across the board. <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting because I've thought about doing a book club and stuff. I, I, it hasn't, the time hasn't presented itself. I mean, the few times that I've tried to initiate it, it just fell over. So it wasn't, I'm just assuming it wasn't God's timing or whatever. But a lot of times when I meet people who are doing book clubs, they're like, they only want to do things that are specifically non-Christian fiction. I mean, you know what I mean? Christian nonfiction. And, and that kind of limits who you're going to obviously then invite into the group. Right. Yeah. For us, we started with the people before we started with the book. So I knew two, two households. I thought these would be interesting people. They've read a lot. They know a lot. Um, their take on the world's different than ours. And so kind of from a missional perspective, I just thought these are people who are, who are not identical to um, our worldview. Let's, let's spend some time together and see where, where things go. And it's fascinating to watch um, some of those conversations develop and, and um, again, how the spirit shows up in places in a moments so you thought, oh, I, I didn't expect that, but the right. spirit's creative. And if we have our eyes open and our ears open, uh, sometimes we get to participate in pretty amazing conversations. Yeah, that's exciting. I'll have to put that back on my radar of. <laughs> we didn't, I'll let you know, we didn't do it until the kids were out of the house. They were out of college. They were, you know, kind of on their own. So it, you and I have had similar, you know, patterns of when we do things. So, you know, if me being a step or two ahead on that one, <laughs> that's the way it worked out. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll keep that in mind because they, uh, they are out of college, but they're not out of the house. But, you know. I, I remember that time. So we're going to get into, you know, obviously, at, um, you know, because this is, this is her story. Uh, at some point, we want to talk about women clergy in that. But uh, I know I tried. I tried to save some questions for you and not give them all to Dr. Gartner. Well, you know, I think somebody mentioned to me the other day, I think it was uh, uh, Dawn Ramirez. She said she had her husband and then she had her boss and she had you. And I thought, well, you know, I'm glad I made that list. So that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if she did that. This was maybe the way I heard it. Maybe that was right, me. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um, all right. So talk about your vision. Your, what are you calling it? 2020 vision? Yeah. That you started a few years ago. Initiative? Yeah. So we've been at the church for 24, almost 25 years. And at the 20-year mark, um, I started to sense... Um, and you, you kind of hit on some of it already. My, my ministry's changed clearly over 24 years. The places I was meeting new people were different. My gift mix was different. My experience was different. I had, had different desires in some ways than what I had um, 20, 20 years ago. And so I was trying to figure out what the next step was on the journey. And I thought for a time it was geographically, you know, maybe I needed to be thinking about a different location. And as we prayed about that more and more and, and looked at different doors that might be open, um, 
what we sense the spirit telling us was, no, you're not supposed to leave to do something different. I can do something different in you and through you right here. If you'll allow me to leverage the, the 24 years you've invested and I've invested in you, the spirit would say, um, then let's do something new. And so when we came to Chelsea 24 years ago, 20 years ago at the time, we were one of three or four, I think we're the fourth Nazarene congregation in Washtenaw County. Since then, um, two of those four, the largest two, have, have closed, have stopped meeting. So I just had this sense of how do we connect with the next, with this generation? How do we do something in the community and in the larger area that would be useful? And, um, and how do we reflect our, you know, the kingdom here? So I was thinking uh, about 20 years in at the time at Chelsea and put me just right around 50 years old. And I thought, well, if I pastor another 20 years, um, that puts me at around 70. I don't know if that's going to, you know, who knows, but, but that's what I was thinking, at least in my, my little pea brain. And so the spirit, I sense the spirit say, why not, why not do 20 new things in the next 20 years? Why not be a part of 20 new things? And so I started just kind of sharing that vision with people and um, feels like the Lord is, is at work on the other end of this vision and this prayer. So we have a, a group that's meeting now in Celine that's new. In the last few years, we have a group that's meeting uh, around the table in Milan. Um, we have a college campus ministry that has begun uh, during COVID-19 of all, of all times right. to move into the area and start a new ministry and start a new marriage, uh, live in a new house. Pastor Ben Straits is really brave. And then I recently had a conversation with somebody who said, I think I'm being called to start a new work in Pinckney. And this is, this is, again, during COVID-19 that somebody's saying, I, I think, you know, my family and I are going to be moving at some point. So if that happens, that'll be the fourth one. And it's our, our desire, really, Joanne, to just kind of seed around Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, um, in it and around it, 20 or more new faith communities. And the desire is that whoever the leader or leadership team is, they would have a sense of what that's going to look like. So will they have a building if they want to? Will it be a house church? Could be. Would it be um, around the table? Would it be a, a table church, a dinner church? Could be. Um, could it be a compassionate ministry center? Sure. Could it be based on Celebrate Recovery? Yep, might be. So um, I'm hoping that it's more than 20 by the time it's all done, and I hope that it's a variety of, of ministries, a variety of leaders, and a variety of ways that the spirit expresses the kingdom in us and around us. Yeah, it is. It is interesting the things that are coming out of the COVID. We, I mean, we've had, I've had someone, you know, reach out to me from the congregation and say, "I think God's stirring my heart towards ministry." I don't even know what that means. So, I mean, of all the seasons, I didn't see that coming, you know. And and of course, some there's been some other things just in the last couple of days. I feel like. It's taken three months to start seeing fruit of, of all of this that's transpired in the last, you know, through the stay-at-home order. Let's talk about the idea of being called. So in light of these people who are saying, hey, uh, maybe I want to be a part of your 2020 initiative and thinking about your own call. So how did you know that you were called to ministry and like, how did God reveal that to you? How long is this podcast usually? 
I would say, I'll just let me give you several, several stops on the journey. Um, I would say as a young person, a, a, a young kid growing up, um, there were two things I really wanted to be. Uh, I wanted to be a professional baseball player and I wanted to be a pastor. And the order would flip depending on the season of the year and the team I was playing with or the church I was going to or whatever. So that, that seed was developed, I think, in me or, or fell into me early on. And then through the teen years, late teen years, I was starting to get ready to pursue that. And we had a difficult season without going to the details of our, our local church. And um, it just, at one point, I kind of threw up my hands and thought, I don't want to give myself to this. I don't want to give myself to organized religion. I'm done with this. And so I went on through college and pursued other degrees. Um, my, my undergrad degrees are actually sociology and business administration, but the remnants of the, of the um, religion were there because I, have a th I think I have or I'm close to having a New Testament Greek minor, but I left that somewhere around the freshman, sophomore year. And so I went and started working in secular ministry or secular work, I should say. I worked for a bank at a time and worked also uh, at a mission as a business manager. But through this time, the, the Lord kept speaking. The Spirit kept, you know, sending me messages. For instance, it was my last year of school, and in a three- or four-month time frame, I lost my paternal grandfather, and I lost one of my best friends from high school. Um, my grandfather died of, of a stroke. Um, you know, he's 80-something, so that's relatively to be expected, but it was one of the closest people I'd lost. And my, my uh, friend from high school was... Uh, 20 or so, 21 in an accident, an auto accident. And I was asking myself some questions uh, or, or I was being asked some questions. I don't know how that works exactly sometimes, but the question kind of went like this, why are you here on earth? You know, what, what are you here to do? And um, for me, the answer wasn't doing what I was doing and, and being where I was. I also remember another time I was sitting in a, a Sunday morning service in Bourbonnais, uh, college church just off the campus of Olivet Nazarene University and Dr. Bowling who's then the pastor was preaching out of Genesis and it's the passage of scripture where um, Father Jacob is about to die and he's called all of the family in and he blesses each of them and he gives them you know, kind of a, a bright future this is what I see for you and he speaks about one of them I think it's Joseph who's like a plant who goes up over the wall and Dr. Bowling talked about how um, the generation passes on the blessing. And he said, sometimes we think of um, life as a race. And some, some people see it as a marathon. It's hard. It's arduous. Every step is painful. He said, but that's really not the best description of life. He said, some people see it like a hundred yard dash. You know, it's over. It's done fast. So cram all you can in, get all the, the excitement and the joy in because it's going to be over soon. He said, that's probably not the best description of life. There's some truth to each of those things, but not the best description. He said, the best description is not a marathon or a hundred yard dash. The best description is a relay race. Um, the previous generation has passed on the faith to us and we've received it. And now it's our task to pass it on. And in that moment, as I was sitting there at college church, it was, it was kind of that question beginning to be asked of me, why did I put you here? How are you going to pass the baton on to the next generation? Now, I didn't act on that right away. After I graduated, that's when I took the bank job, and then I took uh, the mission job. But sometime later on, the Spirit just through a set of circumstances kind of got a hold of me finally, 
and I realized this is the thing I'm here to do is to is to be I consider myself really a storyteller, a collector of stories. I collect stories about how God's been at work. I collect stories about how people are at work. And then I watch the, the intersection of those two. And so that's kind of my pastoral ministry, largely. And so that was that was the calling. Um, there, But there, most of that's just me. I mean, I'm hearing Dr. Bowling. I'm hearing some other things. But um, I remember as a teenager sitting at the, um, the Westland Church of the Nazarene board table, and they were interviewing me for my first local license. And I was telling them what my sense of calling was. And they said, you know, you're, you think you're called to be a senior pastor? And I said, yeah, I think I am. And they said, what about your music? And uh, I said, well, I think God will probably use that somehow. And early on, I told you, you know, my ministry here in Chelsea, uh, that's true. And so some of those saints saw that years ago. And that word from them has stayed in my brain as it's gotten older and, and less flexible. Uh, but that's one of those you know, long-term memories I hang on to. So there were moments along the way where the body of Christ affirmed and directed and gave input and helped to form and shape the call for me. I could talk about the family of origin. I could talk about youth pastors and other pastors. You know, it's like a trip when you, you take a trip. Uh, have you ever been to, um, to Wall Drug? In North Dakota, <laughs> before you get there, you see you see signs every mile or two for like 200 or 300 miles. It seems like you're seeing signs: wall drug, wall drug, wall drug. Uh, when you finally get there, it's a bit of a disappointment. At least it was for me. But um, the call to ministry is kind of that way. Um, it's just there were signs along the way, and if I paid attention, and sometimes I was watching, other times I'm looking the other way. But um, the spirit is so faithful that eventually even, even a dope like me will pick up on and say, oh, I think there's something to this. I should pay attention to it. And likewise, ministry can also sometimes be anticlimactic. <laughs> true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you're moving chairs or ripping up carpet and you're thinking, I, I went to seminary or sat through Bible classes for this. Or you're wiping down the toilet or cleaning up whatever you're cleaning up. And yeah, that's... Take the servant's towel. The master did that. Don't don't think so much of yourself. Right. Yeah, we've been sorting clothes this week, so. Praise the Lord for that. Some yep. places, the person glad you're doing it. Yep. Yep, they will be. All right, so let's talk about women clergy. All right. I think I know a few. Okay. <laughs> how has your perspective of women clergy, yeah, how has it changed over the last 24 years in this journey? So maybe your perspective early days and then over the years how has that changed what were the th certain things that changed your perspective so my sister says um that and you can tell her i quoted her by the way um my sister says that when she was growing up she did not see very many examples of women who were serving as pastors and i think i've heard that story multiple times from multiple people and i would probably say that's that's a fair description of my life too there were a few but it was it was always um with the marker they were described as women clergy and they weren't simply described as clergy they were women clergy as if a clergy is something different from a woman clergy and, and, I, and i understand the distinction i understand you know the dynamics but that's a marker right that says to us something's going on, we haven't paid attention or haven't, um, haven't been faithful to nurture the call in women. Um, I remember hearing, I think it was Jim Bledsoe, 
who was teaching a course of study class years ago, and he talked about the number of women who were clergy early on in the Church of the Nazarene uh, in the formational days. And then he talked about how that number um, just did a nosedive so that I think it was by the 1950s or 60s, it was 4%. That's the number that sticks in my mind. So you know, don't, as I was say, don't go public with this, but uh, I'm saying that's the number <laughs> I remember. And so we saw really kind of a, a bottoming out of the years of our neglect of nurturing the call in women. I have watched the last few years as it seems like the spirit is blowing in a brand new way and um, forgiving our trespasses in this area and calling a new generation of people. So that when I was at seminary, I would say it was, well, let's see, what years was I there? I think I started for my master's in 95 or 96. And um, when I first entered, certainly males were outnumbering females. And by the time I was done, it was at least even, um, the early 2000s. When I came here to Chelsea uh, and the Ministerial Association would meet, there was one woman uh, who was a pastor. Um, she's the, she was the chaplain at the hospital. She wasn't even in a congregational assignment. I shouldn't say even. She was not in a congregational assignment. And now 24 years later, I am the minority uh, gender-wise around the table, there are, there are you know, more women than men at this point in congregational and parish assignments. But having said all that, and that's, that's all good news, I think, we are not there yet. I remember uh, one of the people that I met, you, did you have Margie Bryce on your podcast? Has Margie been on here? Yeah. Yep. When Margie and I were going to seminary together and we were both finishing up, um, I was serving as the lead pastor in Chelsea at the time. And I'm not sure what her assignment was. I don't remember, but I remember she was going to be looking for an assignment. And she said, I can't find an assignment um, on our district uh, or, or close to, you know, close to where I'm at right now. And I know that that story has been repeated a number of times. A lot of the, the people that I went to school with who are women said, I've got to go outside the denomination to find a place to serve. I'm hoping that those numbers are changing. My sense is they're changing some, but probably not to the place where um, we would like yet. Not probably, definitely not. So those are some changes I've seen, but yeah, still, still, still on the move, still making, making progress. And in your, per your own personal ministry, I mean, you've, you've been an advocate. You have women on staff. You sent women out of your congregation, right? Yeah, Ann Sally was a part of our congregation, and uh, she went from our, our Chelsea church. We helped walk with her as she was uh, following her call, and then she pastored one of those churches in Ann Arbor. Matter of fact, I said, you know, we had, there were three churches before we got to Washtenaw County. Two of them closed, and, and the third one was getting ready to close, and Ann said, well, I'll go there, and, uh, and so she not only kept it open, but took one of our, um, our associates, uh, J.J. John Posgay with her. So yeah, we've sent people out. Um, we have uh, people on staff. Our staff meetings right now are split. I don't know if it's 50-50, it's close. It's like 5-4 or 4-5, four, four, something like that, but it's, it's pretty close. Uh, our board is, is similarly, similarly split, about half and half. So yeah, the intent is that somehow we would, as best as we can, represent the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God look like? Um, is the spirit of God only um, only pent up in men? No. 
and then and then we try and think of those things too generationally is everybody you know 50 years old is everybody 50 or 60 no how do we bring other people to the table or in different uh, different generations so um, I think that's a part of what my understanding of the church is to be is that we somehow reflect the larger world not not worldly certainly uh, we're in the world but we're not of it and so being in it means that all people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue is represented, right. and and we look to be a part of that. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about Mac for a minute. Um, six years ago, we started Ministry Assessment Center. Well, I didn't start it, you know, but the, the district started it, and you you've been a part of that from the very beginning. Both of us have been. We've been there from the beginning. We didn't start it. But we've been there from almost the start. So right from the beginning. So. Ministry Assessment Center, so MAC, how have you seen it better prepare people for ministry? Because you went through it, just like I did, without having that aspect or avenue. How has that helped to prepare? What trends have you seen? And then has there been any anything specific that you would see that benefited or hasn't benefited women clergy through MAC? Yeah, so um, how, how has it benefited people? I think that it's connecting candidates for pastoral ministry to other people who are invested, are willing to invest in their ministry. It connects candidates for pastoral ministry to models and mentors that they can watch and they can learn from. Sometimes you are blessed to be in a congregation like you were with uh, at Detroit First Church with Dr. Ron Blake, with somebody who's invested your ministry and willing to create space for you. Sometimes you're not in that place. Um, sometimes you're at a small church where there is no there is no staff or there's not a variety of people or there's just a kind of limited number of, of resources. And so um, I think that Mac gives connection and gives mentors and models to candidates. It also gives an intentionality to ministry. How do we walk with you? How do we help you to learn particular skills, to think about particular issues, to ask particular questions? Um, none of us are done asking those questions. And as the world changes on some things, the answer changes. You know, do you have a building? Well, we did three months ago and we still have it, but um, that's not, you know, the key the key tool right now, technology has become uh, in some ways more important than the building these last three months. So um, similarly, we're, the world changes, the, the landscape changes, and, and answers to some of those questions change. Not, not answers to every question, you know, Jesus Christ the same today and forever, but how do we continue to ask those questions and walk with people who have, have been there? I think one year we did kind of just a, a quick ad, and we said, well, how many how many years of ministry is, is represented by the staff in the room? It was like 300 years of pastoral ministry experience. And so when you and I walked in the door the first Sunday or first day to be a pastor, if we didn't have someone to go to, it would have been nice to have had something like Mac that we realized, wait, there, there's people around here. It's you know, so great a cloud of witnesses, so to speak, who, who are um, ready to cheer me on, who are ready to walk with us and who are ready to help us. And so I think both male and female um, candidates benefit from that. We have added, as the staff has, has um, changed over the years, I think we've added more pastors who are women into the mix. Um, we've also added pastors 
who are not simply congregational pastors or simply lead pastors. Uh, we have people who are chaplains. We have people who are counselors. And so uh, we have people who are district assigned. And so I think that kind of widens and broadens the, the sense of ministry. I think that's helpful. So I, I think another piece, and this has got kind of connection too, looking for multiple connecting points when you have people who teach the course of study classes and they're a part of that weekend, um, when the people that are part of that weekend are also the same people, the, the staff or the same people the candidates will see again in January, all of that just kind of fosters the sense of team and the body of Christ. We've used the phrase, I think Bowser gave it to us first, Dave Bowser gave it to us first, more pastors, better pastors, and we're better together. Those, those are some phrases we use, and they probably were not original with him, but, but we have kind of co-opted those, and we passed them around because we think those are true. Yeah, every year when we're there, I'd say, boy, I wish I had this early on in my own ministry. Yes, that's right. I agree with you. I don't know if you're going to ask this question or not. This is a little off of the question, but I think it's on the topic. And um, one of the things that I've, I've been thinking about a lot recently is the issue of power and the power dynamic. And it's easy for us to go through life and have the, have the misunderstanding, everybody has equal power. Um, we, we may have equal rights, we, we, at least legally uh, we do, but we don't necessarily have equal power somebody who walks into a room with another person and one person is well-dressed, somebody's not, um, somebody's well-spoken, somebody's not, somebody's old, somebody's young, somebody's male, somebody's female, somebody's white, somebody's black. Depending on the context, each of those things makes a difference uh, about your voice, about your being heard, about assumptions that are placed on you. For instance, I have a number of friends, white friends, who've adopted black kids. And they said, I've understood now what it means to be driving while black. They said, I've heard that phrase before, but I never understood that. You don't typically worry about your race when you're a white kid in a white community, just as an example. And so um, one of the things that I guess I've been thinking about, and I don't have an answer to this question, it's more of a topic, and you could address it, I'm sure, better than I could, but I've been wrestling with what does, what does that look like? What does the power dynamic look like within the kingdom and within the church and within the structure? How do those of us who have an invitation to decision-making places, how do we share that? How do we invite others in to be decision-makers as well? What does it mean like for those of us who've been invited in to say, uh, I've invited somebody else to the table and I'm going to give them my seat and I'm going to move on and let them have that, that seat? And so those are questions that I find myself, you know, wrestling with, and I don't have easy answers for all of those things, but I think they are, they are um, issues that we need to be asking. And I'm thankful when people understand that. And when they don't understand that, then we have a different, a different assignment ahead of us. Yeah. I think there, there is definitely a role that people who have power, you know, they play in elevating those who don't have power when you know whatever the context is and so that and so we just have to have people who are willing to then advocate and you know elevate the person next to them mm-hmm. and, and some of it has to do with our understanding I, I think it has to do with our understanding of resources and so we have a you know if we have a scarcity mindset mm-hmm. we are 
going to be afraid of allowing anyone else to have power. So if we have power, we're going to be afraid to advocate and to elevate someone else. And what what's frustrating, I'll say for me, is that you know we're from you know we're in a congreg a, a denomination that's Wesleyan in their perspective. That the idea of a scarcity mindset um, that should not be part of our theology because it's not part of the Wesleyan theology is a scarcity mindset. I mean, we believe that God owns the cattle on the cattle on a thousand hills, whatever, uh, as I'm misquoting scripture. If he owns everything and if God is the, the, the author of everything, then we're never going to be without. We we're without when we begin to hoard our resources. And that includes the, our power, not just physical resources, but when we when we hoard our power, you know, those of us who are in the Wesleyan tradition, we really need to do some digging into our theology. You know, one of the things that I have found for my for myself as someone who's you know culturally I'm less powerful than because I'm just because I'm female um, is learning how to lead from the back seat, mm. uh, and it's it's an it's an art and it's. That, so that you have to really work at um, to learn how to lead from the back seat. And I don't even know that I have, I don't know that I really know how to articulate or teach that. Um, but I, one of the things I find God challenging me on is what, what does that mean to lead from the back seat? Like, how can you teach that? How can you articulate that to other people? Obviously Jesus found a, a way to <laughs> lead from the back seat. Um, so, so some of it is just learning to really understand how he led and to begin imitating how he led. So servant leadership, obviously not, not the cliche that we have term that we have coined over the last, you know, 20, 30 years for our benefit, but true servant leadership. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the scripture where Paul says our battles, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I think we like to quote that, but then we have no idea what that looks like. Well, where are we meeting that? And I think we have, we have to be willing to say, well, there are lots of systems and structures in place. And there are places, you know, because, we're, because we are human, um, because we are imperfect, the things that we design and put together, like a church or a district or a denomination or a nation, while it may be the best that there is, or maybe it's not, but you know, while it may be a great thing, um, a blessing to us, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not perfect. And so there are always places where we can say, well, are there patterns we've repeated? Are there certain places that, um, that uh, there are systems and structures that, that favor some and, and disadvantage others? And, um, and so I think, you know, for me, that passage of scripture has been a key to, to see some of these places where particularly those who don't have or don't enjoy and, and those who do need to find a way to come together. And it's, it's, and it's, it works best in my mind when the, the person who has is willing to give up or share or lay down. Acts 2 tells us no one had any need. This is 42 through 47. Nobody had any need because those who had gave to those who didn't. And um, that's just kind of what you're saying there. We don't have to feel like we're going to be scarce if five loaves and two fish can feed 5,000 men and all the other people who are there, you know, then certainly what we have in our hand given to the spirit being reminded we're stewards, not owners of it. So right. if we're a Mac facilitator, if we're a pastor of a church, um, if we sit on a district board, 
if we, you know, are a chaplain or a husband or a wife or a parent or whatever, whatever it is we are, whatever our role is, we're a steward of that. We don't own it. And one day we will give an accounting. Did I share that? That I love God with that? That I love people with that? So I'm always looking for ways that we can do that individually, but also collectively. Right. That's good stuff. God's good all the time. And none of it's original with us, I'm sure. You know, nothing's new under the sun. So um, I just had a, a professor of mine, John Hawthorne, who's retiring from Spring Arbor, sociology prof, but he'd been my professor of sociology at Olivet back in 1980, I don't know, 8, 87, 86. And as he was retiring, I said, you know, I still quote you sometimes. Um, and I hear, I hear some of those lectures from, you know, 30 years ago. Um, thanks be to God for anything that's worth passing on that gets passed on. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful for, uh, I'm thankful for you over the last 10 years. You know, you, you, I want to tell the story. I have a reason why I'm telling the story, but you know, after I planted the church or when I was getting ready to plant the church, I was kind of looking for someone to mentor me. And a couple of people I had reached out to just didn't have the time to do that. And my senior pastor, of course, was still on the district. And so I could go to him, but he was elected district superintendent somewhere else. So he left the district and, you know, you, you know, feeling the prompting of the spirit, you know, called me up and said, Hey, I want to make myself, you know, available to mentor you, uh, you know, not being presumptuous, but which I appreciate because, you know, there, there is a little bit of, man, well, maybe that was just me. Like I've wanted to reach out to people before and thought, well, that, I don't want to come across like, I'm arrogant or whatever, um, which is not, I'm not, you did not come across that way, but it was, I'm not worried about that. I should be, but I'm not worried about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. That, that's, that's your positivity, you know, which yeah. first of all, I should ask the question now, how many times have I called you in 10 years to say, can I please have some of your positivity today? I just really need some. Joanne, there is no scarcity in the kingdom of God. Right, so, right. Positivity. There's plenty. <laughs> come share it. Well, I appreciate you sharing it, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I tell that story because there are a lot of women clergy, or even just like you said, pastors who are young in the ministry who maybe find themselves where you know they're not they're not picked first for the kickball team, right? And they need people who are sensitive to the spirit who who will make that and and that will initiate that contact and say look i'm going to make myself available to mentor you if you're looking for a mentor and so i appreciated you taking that initiative and because it's been very valuable obviously with planning a church since you planted a church i planted a church and and then of course not ironically planted where you were going to plant so and now you're pastoring part of my family. Um, another similarity between us too, and I hadn't thought about this, but uh, my last senior, well, not my last, one of my last senior pastors, the person who was on staff when I was hired at that church, left that church, went to a different state and became a DS. So um, <laughs> our stories are just, you know, parallel tracks in, in so many ways. Um, and I will say that people before me, again, with this, the baton story, um, people before me did what I did for you and what you're doing for others. So it didn't start with you. It didn't start with me. I'm sure it probably didn't start with them either. But that's what the kingdom looks like. We take what we have. We share with those who might need a little bit of experience, might need a little bit of encouragement, um, might need a little bit of wisdom or whatever it is we have to offer. And uh, God is glorified when, when we offer our five loaves and two fish. 
Yeah, we are better together. I know that's very cliche right now, but it is, it's true, right? That's right. It's, it's, it's a cliche because it's, there's something true there for sure. And that's why we keep saying it. Um, Sometimes we find new ways to say it because we wear the old way out, but there's something there that is true and God speaks what is true in us and through us and praise be to God for that. Anything else you want to share for the podcast, women, men, anybody who's listening? I just appreciate what you're doing and uh, pouring new wine into new wine skins. You, know, you were, at least in my circle, one of the newest people to do a podcast. Um, what number episode will this be? Uh, 36 or 37, something like that. That's great. So I, you know, I've since learned of other people, friends of mine, family members who started podcasts, but, but you're on the cutting edge of that. Um, you were in a strategic place and time on our district in ministry. And I'm thankful for that. And, you know, just with my gift mix, I would say to people who are candidates for ministry, it can be lonely. Um, So you've got to find partners. You've got to find sojourners. People will travel the journey with you who believe in you, who want the best for you and uh, surround yourself with those people. Everybody, everybody needs encouragement sometimes. Everybody. Especially when positivity is way down the list of your strength. <laughs> I have I have a person in my life who will tell you it's not just positivity; it's an over uh, overgrown sense of self confidence. So I don't know if I'm that too. Whatever it is, you know, you can blame my mom for that one probably. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that's your that's your woo. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> probably, yeah. You you know what number woo is for me? I told uh, you before. You say it's 29, 25? No, or? it's it's 34. 30. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are listening to strength about don't know about strength finders, there are only 34. <laughs> oh, I was thinking there were only 30. I thought you were making that up. He said 30. No. God, that okay. All right. Well, I knew yeah. it was down the list. I knew it wasn't early on, but no. uh, I don't know. There's a song we sing in our church sometimes it's called Servant Song. And it says, we are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. And um, so, you know, if uh, positivity or woo is what you need, give me a call and we'll do that. And I likewise call you when I need, you know, strategic, contemplative thoughts. Uh, how does an introvert see this? And apparently, you know, there are people in the world like that. So, yeah, thanks. there are a few of us out there. So, but we, even, I- even we need people sometimes. <laughs> at least or or at least we need to use people for their positivity <laughs> yeah, I, I get that and then you can yeah. go back and close the door <laughs> yeah yeah i'm good now i'm pretty good for the rest of the day maybe for two days now <laughs> okay. i mean i've got somebody that's uh in my life who was talking about covid19 and quarantine they said i was made for this you know i and we're we're in a couple weeks and they said something about is it wrong that i'm still not ready to go out i'm like <laughs> I'm in a day or two and I'm getting cabin fever. I got to get out of here. So, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Giving My your input. For I'm, I'm truly honored that you asked me. Thank you. Thank you.